You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. Happy Friday. Every chapel service that we have here is special, but today is extra special. Today we celebrate the life and the work and the legacy of Dr. Dennis Kenlaw, an eminent scholar, visionary leader, and minister of the gospel. Dr. Kenlaw is remembered as one who modeled a commitment to academic rigor, spiritual vitality, and personal holiness. Born in 1922, Kenlaw received what he would later call the most significant spiritual experience of his life under the preaching and then Asbury University President Henry Clay Morrison during the Indian Springs Holiness Camp meeting in 1935. Thirteen years old at the time, Kinlaw heard Morrison preach on entire sanctification, an experience that would profoundly shape his spiritual life and his academic career. Dr. Kinlaw attended Asbury College from 1939 to 1943, where he distinguished himself in many areas. After graduating from Asbury, Kinlaw married his classmate, Elsie Blake Kinlaw, and was ordained a minister. He pursued further studies at Asbury Theological Seminary, Princeton Theological Seminary, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and he received his MA and PhD from Brandeis University. In 1964, Kinlaw returned to Asbury Theological Seminary as a professor of Old Testament history, theology, and languages. His love and his passion for students and academics led him to accept an invitation to serve as the president of his alma mater, Asbury College. He served from 1968 to 1981, and then again from 1986 to 1991. And under his leadership, Asbury experienced great academic and institutional growth, adding a new department, creating new majors, and hiring new faculty members. Asbury experienced a spiritual awakening during Dr. Kenlaw's presidency as well in the 1970 revival. On February 3rd, 1970, a seemingly ordinary chapel service, again, there are no ordinary chapel services, 144 hours of unbroken revival broke out. And the students went on to impact various parts of the world, never again to be the same. We will celebrate the 50-year anniversary of this revival in February of 2020 in this coming year. Kinlaw founded the Francis Asbury Society in 1983, an organization based right here in Wilmore whose purpose is to promote the message of scripture holiness through evangelism, discipleship, missions outreach, and publications. And I want to tell you, as Dr. Kinlaw was fond of saying, we are in his hands, and they're good hands. And today, we can look at that same God that he appealed to and say, we are in his hands, and they are good hands. After our service this morning, we will celebrate Dr. Kinlaw's legacy in a dedication ceremony to the Dennis Kinlaw Study Center, located appropriately in the Kinlaw Library. Through the generosity of the Kinlaw family, over 7,000 volumes from the former president 
uh, Dr. Kenlaw's personal library were donated to Asbury University along with more than 66,000 pages of personal correspondence and monographs. There are some exciting things that are going to be happening within this space, and I would encourage you many times to check it out. Last but not least, our speaker this morning is no stranger to the Asbury community. Dr. Chris Bounds, noted educator, author, speaker, specializing in preaching and teaching for revivals and camp meetings. His passion is to equip the next generation of leaders in the church with the full gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. Dr. Bounds received his BA degree in Bible with a minor in Greek from Asbury College in 1988, and he earned his Master of Divinity degree in 1991 from Asbury Theological Seminary with an emphasis in theological studies. Chris is an ordained elder in the Arkansas Conference of the United Methodist Church, where he served as an associate and senior pastor for eight years. Prior to coming to Asbury University, Dr. Bounds taught more than a decade in the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University. He has published widely across scholarly and popular venues and serves today as a board chair of the Francis Asbury Society. I'm looking forward to this time together with you and would ask for your attention this morning. Thank you. Because do you know that's the way God lives? Do you know what the Father does? He lives giving his life to his son. <laughs> do you know what his son does? He lives giving it back to the Father. <laughs> Saying, my will is not to do my own will, my will is to do your will, Father. So the one gives to the other, and the other one gives back, and then the other one gives to all of us. And that's the reason Christianity has a God who can be defined as love. Love is not something he does, it's what he is. And he's the only God in, human, in all of the religions of the world that is that. And we're to be in his image. That's the reason, now you'll forgive me for this, but I think that's the reason I've never been able to ditch my Wesleyan theology. You know, I'm weary of it. I'm not interested in being a Wesleyan. I want to be a Christian. But you know what Wesley said? He said the end of human existence is perfect love not justification by faith. He said justification by faith is something the sinner uh, experiences in the court, but he said we're made for more than citizenship. We're made for sonship, and that's personhood. We are made for perfect love. And what is perfect love? It's where everything you get, you give away. <laughs> you receive and you give and you become a conduit for the grace of God and the love of God and the power of God and the goodness of God. And as it goes through, it's interesting. It's so, it tastes better as it slides through, far better than when you hold it. And Paul knew that. So if he knew that, how under the sun could he ever hold on to anything? To hold on is to pollute it, to corrupt it, to defile it, and to destroy it. Well, that's what I wanted to say this morning. And uh, I believe our world is looking for people out there who can illustrate this kind of thing in their lives. So may God help us to do that. I am incredibly humbled to have this opportunity to come and share in this special day in the life of Asbury University. I am reminded that my own father 
came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord through the preaching ministry of Dennis Kenlaw while I was a student at Asbury University in the 1980s. I also myself am deeply indebted to Dr. Kenlaw because it was in chapels like this that I had an opportunity to hear messages on the beauty of holiness and began to realize that there is a work of grace that God can do in our hearts and our lives where our lives can truly be about perfect love, to love God and love neighbor. So I am humbled to have this opportunity to come and share with you this morning. Our scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, and then picking up in verse 19 through verse 21. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3 and reading through verse 7, and then picking up verses 19 through 21. And I'm going to ask if you would to please stand in honor and reverence of the public reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes... Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to focus our attention on verse 5. Let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Today, I want to ask the question, have you lost your mind? I want to ask it a second time. Have you lost your mind? My hope is that you have. And if you have not, my prayer is that you will. The Apostle Paul tells us that we have a problem with our mind. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says that because of the fall and because of sin, you and I have a mind that is hostile to God. It is so hostile that it is called a reprobate mind. In chapter 7 of Romans, chapter 8 of Romans, in verse 7, Paul picks up on this same theme and says that not only is our mind reprobate, 
but that it sets itself up against God. That our minds war against God. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says that before you and I came to know Jesus Christ, that we served the selfish desires of our mind. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 18, the Apostle Paul says that it is the carnal mind that leads us to believe that we are spiritual when in fact we are not. I want to ask you the question this morning, have you lost your mind? More specifically, in this passage of Scripture that I read to you, the Apostle Paul makes a contrast between that mind which was in Christ Jesus and the mind that you and I come into this life with. He says that this mind that you and I come, out, uh, come into this life with is defined by selfish ambition and conceit. That it is a mind that is dominated and ruled by self-interest. We come into this life always thinking, either consciously or unconsciously. We come into this life thinking, what's in it for me? I teach theology here at Asbury. And over the years, a number of theologians have spent time thinking about what is the essence of sin. St. Augustine thought that the essence of sin was pride. John Wesley thought it was unbelief. Tertullian thought it was impatience. But Dr. Dennis Kenlaw, in his reflection on this passage of Scripture, said at the heart of sin, the essence of sin, is self-interest. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interests of others. And that is because you and I are driven by self-interest. One of the places we can clearly see this, especially in the Gospels, is in the life of Peter. You may remember in Mark chapter 8, uh, Peter is the one who is able to recognize that Jesus is in fact the Christ. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus, uh, Peter hit the jackpot. He was able to recognize through the Spirit's influence exactly who Jesus is. But then Jesus begins to explain that he must suffer many things. That he must be handed over to the religious leaders. That he must suffer a shameful death. And then on the third day, rise again from the dead. And at that moment, Peter rebukes him. And Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You do not think as God thinks. But you think as humans think. The problem that you and I have is the same problem that Peter has. You and I, as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, we do not think as God thinks. 
We do not have the mind of God. Rather, we have the mind of fallen humanity, which is, in fact, the image and the mind of the enemy. Get behind me, Satan. I want to ask you again this morning, have you lost your mind? If you follow the story of Peter in the Gospel of Mark, you will see that Peter is someone who is devoted to Jesus Christ. He is a follower of Christ. We see on the night that Jesus is betrayed, when the armed militia comes to arrest Christ, that Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, are ready to lay down their lives for Jesus. But in the moment that Jesus is arrested, Jesus reminds the disciples that what he is about and the way that he thinks is not what the disciples are about and not the way that the disciples think. You see, Peter thought that Jesus Christ was going to be an earthly Messiah. He thought that Jesus was going to come and restore the fortunes of Israel. He thought that Jesus was going to come and bring justice to the Jewish collaborators with the Roman Empire that were in Jerusalem. He was going to restore the political fortunes of Israel in the world. And that Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, were going to have a position of privilege and importance in the kingdom that Jesus was going to establish. Peter followed Christ. Peter was willing to lay down his life for Christ. But only if Christ was about what Peter wanted. And when Peter began to realize that Jesus' mind and Jesus' agenda was different than his... He fled and denied Christ. It was Martin Luther who said, as a result of the fall, you and I come into this life and we curvedly, wickedly, viciously seek all things, even God, for our own sake. The truth of the matter is, as a result of our fallen minds, when we come to God, we are always thinking about ourselves and what God can do for us. And we may be willing to seek God. We may be willing to serve God. We may be willing to worship God. We may be willing even to lay down our lives for Him. But it's not about him. But it is about us and what we want. I want to ask you this morning, have you lost your mind? There is a beautiful story. I shared this in a breakout chapel with the freshman class. There's a beautiful story that comes out of early Christian history. It's not found in the scriptures. But the story is about Jesus. And in this story, Jesus wakes up one morning and he tells his disciples 
to find a rock that they're going to carry throughout the day. And so the disciples split up and they all go to find just the right rock for themselves. And so the disciples all end up with different size rocks. But Peter wanted to honor the letter of Jesus' instruction, if not the spirit of it. And so he finds the smallest rock that he can find, which is a pebble. And so while the rest of the disciples in the day are struggling with the rocks that they're carrying, Peter is not having any trouble at all. That evening when they had camp and they had their meal, Jesus snaps his fingers and he turns their rocks into bread. And because Peter only had a pebble, he did not have much to eat. So he went to bed that evening hungry. The very next day, Jesus gives the same instruction to the disciples. Find a rock that you're going to carry throughout the day. And again, the disciples scatter and they find just the right rock. But you have to remember, Peter is hungry. He's not had much to eat. And so he finds the largest rock they can possibly carry. And he picks up that rock and he struggles with that rock throughout the course of the day. And that evening, the thing that keeps him going is knowing he's going to have a full belly. And that evening, they make camp. And this time, Jesus does absolutely nothing with the rocks. Peter is upset. So he goes to Jesus and he said, why didn't you turn my rock into bread? And Peter, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, were you carrying that rock for me? Or were you carrying that rock for yourself? That's our problem. This is our mindset you and I come into this life preoccupied with ourselves, dominated by self-interest. I want to ask the question again. Have you lost your mind? Now, in this passage of Scripture, this is the mind that is described that we have. As a result of the fall. But we're called to have a different mind. We're called to, to lose this mind that we come into this life with. And we are to take on. We are to have that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Here was a mind that was not driven by self-interest. Here was a mind that had no selfish ambition. No conceit. This is a mind that did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and taking the form of a slave. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took the form of a servant. And please hear me when I say this to you this morning. That in the incarnation, the eternal Son of God did not become something He wasn't from all of eternity. 
I want you to know that what happened in the incarnation was a manifestation of the eternal posture of God. And that eternal posture of God is that of a servant. The eternal posture of God is one that is devoid of self-interest. It is a posture that is always focused on the other. If in fact what it is to be sinful, if what it is to be sinners is to be turned in unto ourselves, to be preoccupied with our own interests, then I will tell you that what redemption is, is to be turned outward towards the other. So that we no longer think about our self-interest, but we think about the interests of God. We think about the interests of others. And this is what we see in Jesus who reveals to us the very mind of God. And it is this mind that you and I are to have. Uh, Interestingly enough, just to help us to begin to explore a little bit about the significance of this, is to ask the question, why in the world did God bring the universe into being? Why creation? And at least from a historic Christian view, it's not because there was any need in God. There wasn't something incomplete in God. So that creation is not about what God gets. It's not about what God gains. There is no self-interest in creation. What creation is about is about what God gives. Your life was brought into being. This world was brought into being. In order for God to give. Many of you are familiar with the Nicene Creed. There's also another question that's asked. Why does the eternal Son of God come in the incarnation? The answer that's given to us in the Nicene Creed is that He comes for us. And He comes for our salvation. John Chrysostom, an early church father, in his catechetical lectures, talks about the Holy Spirit. And he recognizes in his lecture on the Holy Spirit that at least in the Bible, the Holy Spirit gets short shrift. We don't see the Holy Spirit get the same attention as the Father and the Son. And he says it's natural to think That because he does not get as much attention as the Father and the Son, that he must be less than the Father and the Son. And John Chrysostom says, if you think that, then you have not grasped the truth of the kingdom of God. You do not think as God thinks You think as human thinks. How many of you remember, and I don't need to, you know this, but let me just remind you of this. What did Jesus say? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? It is the one who becomes the servant of all. It is not the first in this world who is the greatest in the kingdom, but it is the last. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not, please hear my language, the way 
that we think about it. And so even if you think that because the Holy Spirit somehow doesn't get the same manner of attention that the Father and the Son do, it reveals within us that we do not think as God thinks, but we think as humans think. I am reminded of Jesus. I'm going to have to conclude here. I am reminded of Jesus in John chapter 13. And you may remember in John chapter 13, it's the Last Supper. And the disciples come into the upper room. And uh, no one uh, washes the feet. Uh, Historically, in this time of Judaism, the foot washing experience was normally done uh, by the guest himself or herself. And so there would be a towel and a basin that would maybe be made available by the host. And the uh, guest would wash his or her feet themselves. If there was a slave, if there was a servant, that slave or servant might do that. But what's interesting is, is it was the practice at that time that if you were a free person like Jesus was, and you took the posture of a servant to wash the feet of another, it was the sign of complete and utter devotion to that person whose feet are washed. And so in this moment, Jesus is once again showing he has no interest in himself. His only interest is the will of the Father. His only interest is to serve those whom the Father has given into his hands. Later on, after the meal is over, and again, verse 34 of John chapter 13, Jesus makes this statement. I give to you a new command. What is that new command? Love one another as I have loved you. How in the world is that a new command? You may remember in the Old Testament, the command is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus gives us a whole new standard in which we're to understand the love of neighbor. The standard is no longer how we love ourselves. The standard now is how Jesus loves us. Now, this is pretty important because I'm going to be honest with you. Not many of you love yourselves very well. If the standard of loving me is how you love yourself, most of us are in trouble. Do I hear an amen? But Jesus gives to us a whole new standard. Love one another as I have loved you. And how does Jesus love us without self-interest? He is completely turned in his mind outward to the love of those who are around him and the love of God. This is the mind that you and I are to have. Now the question is this. Can you and I have the mind of Christ? 
And this mind is nothing more and nothing less in Philippians than having the heart of a servant. This mind that is in Christ Jesus that Paul exhorts us to have is nothing more and nothing less than to not in this life be driven by self-interest. It is nothing more and nothing less than to be free of selfish ambition, to be free of conceit. It is to have the posture of a slave. It is to have the posture of a servant. So that I do not love with some sort of expectation of what this does for me. Let me say this. This is a problem that we face. And please hear me. I, I, I love this. I love that we are driven by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those who are in prison, taking care of the widow and the orphan. But the problem is, if we don't lose our mind and take on that mind which was in Christ Jesus, that we ultimately, in some way or another, do all of it for our own self-interest. Maybe that self-interest is so that we will feel good about ourselves. Maybe that self-interest is in doing this, that hopefully maybe we're doing something to please God. Maybe we serve other people because we need the accolades and the praise that come with it and the type of recognition that it can bring to us. Have you lost your mind? The good news that I want to share with you today is that this same mind that is in Christ Jesus isn't just some sort of goal that we can shoot for in life. And maybe if we live long enough, maybe we can begin to truly approximate it in life. But Paul lets us know in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2 that there is a person, just to let you know, a young person who has the mind of Christ who has been set free from the tyranny of self-interest, and that is Timothy. Listen to what Paul says, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone else is driven by their own interests. Here is one who has been set free from the tyranny of self-interest. Here is someone who has been set free to truly be a slave, to truly be a servant. The good news that I bring to you today is that you and I can lose our minds. And you and I can have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would, in deeper and fuller ways, set us free from selfish ambition and conceit. I ask that you would truly set us free to pursue not our interests, 
but the interests of others. That you would place within our lives that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would take our lives that are in sin, that are built, bent in unto themselves, and that we would have the mind of Christ, and that we would be opened completely up, turned outward toward the other. By the power that you have, set us free from our carnal minds and set us free to live out the mind of Christ. And we ask this not for our sake, but we ask this for the sake of the church and we ask this for the sake of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Before I close this in prayer, two quick announcements. First, we have several guests with us today. Uh, we have visitors for the Kinlaw Study Center dedication ceremony. And moreover, we have the All-Star Band Clinic visitors as well. Thank you for being here. You are always welcome in this space. Second, related to the dedication ceremony, this will take place at 11 a.m. at the very front of the Kinlaw Library. Seats have been designated for our special guests, but all are welcome, and I would invite you to come. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, your hands are good hands. And Father, I pray that when the world sees our own hands, and when they see hands that serve, and when they see hands that share, and when they see hands that help and assist, and when they see hands that create, and when they see hands that produce, may they say, equally so, those are good hands. Not for our own sake, as Dr. Bounds prayed, but Father, that our acts may ultimately point to you that we may let our light so shine before others so that they may see our good hands, but ultimately see the good hands of the Father who created us and who loves us. Lord, let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. And when the world sees us, Lord, may that be evident above all. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the legacy of Dr. Kinlaw. Thank you for this sacred place and space. Thank you for these students who are here and who will go out and do great things and glorify you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.